Welcome to the PapaCast. On the gridiron. Now here's your host, Bob Papa. Welcome to another edition of the PapaCast as we dive deep into the National Football League and the Giants and Jets. And who better to have us join on this edition of the PapaCast and the outstanding reporter for Fox Sports, Mike Garofalo. Mike, how are you today? Good, Bobby. How are you? Thanks for having me, buddy. Great to have you on the program. And let, let's get right into this thing. With uh, We'll start with the New York Giants, a team that you used to cover uh, when you worked the beat. And, uh, you know, obviously the Giants spent a lot of money in week one of free agency. Um, were you surprised that they went as deep as they went with their acquisitions? No. I, and, and, see, I, everybody's been talking about how it's un-Giant-like for them to spend money and to make splashes like this. Bob, you've been around. I mean, you, you've seen years where they've had to supplement their roster and, and they've had money available. I mean, 2005 comes to mind with, with Antonio Pierce, uh, Kareem McKenzie, Plexigo Burris. Those were three huge additions and, and three key cogs of the Super Bowl. Then they, then they did it again in, in 2009 when they added uh, uh, um, Chris Canty, I believe, was that year. Um, no, Antro Raw, I think, was the following year. It, it was an 0-9-0-10 kind of splash where, again, they added key pieces for a Super Bowl run. So the way that they came into this with as much cap room as they did and as many holes on that defense as we saw last year, uh, looking at that defense saying there's just not enough talent there. There really isn't enough talent there. And I think I know the fact that, that John Mara uh, told us at the press conference when Coughlin resigned that Steve Spagnuolo would get a head coaching interview, and he believed – that you know maybe he didn't have enough talent, but he wanted to hear it from from Spags. And the fact that they retained him again tells me that they looked at the roster and said, you know what, there wasn't enough talent on that side of the ball. And how do you get that quickly? You get it through free agency. It's not ideal. It's not what you want to do. You want to draft. You want to resign your own guys. But when you can't do that, you have to make the splash. And, and not surprised that they did. Well, you know the, the lack of the talent on the roster, and obviously, um, you know Tom Coughlin steps down as head coach of the Giants. They promote the offensive coordinator. Spag stays. Um, it's, it's kind of created an odd situation, though, hasn't it? Because uh, they acknowledge that the talent on the roster was really lacking, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and they went out and they signed all these players. Yet, on the flip side, there's only one guy that's not working, and that's the head coach, Tom Coughlin. Yeah, minor, minor tweaks here and there, but... You're right. Both coordinators stay in in, in place while McAdoo gets promoted. Uh, and for all intents and purposes, it's going to be the offensive coordinator. It sounds like he's going to call the plays with, with Mike Sullivan bumping up from that quarterback job and certainly having his input there. Uh, but the offense stays the same. The defense stays the same. And, and, and it's just the only thing I can make of it, Bob, looking back on it, is sometimes it's just time or sometimes you think it's just time for the team to hear a different voice. Uh, I, I don't think that anybody in that building believes that Tom Coughlin lost his fastball. Uh, and the fact that, that he was there uh, for the last couple of weeks working out early in the morning in, inside the building, uh, talk about uncomfortable uh, or, or awkward or however you want to, you, you want to phrase it. Uh, you know, he's he still got the passion and everything that you would need for him to be a head coach. I, I just, again, I just believe that, that there comes a time or, or believe that the Giants believe that there comes a time where you just need a, a fresh voice for these players to hear. All right, so the numbers on Olivier Vernon are off the charts, which I'm sure you know will be dwarfed once Von Miller signs his deal and then whoever is the stud pass rusher a year from yeah. now. 
What is it about his game that you believe is a good fit, if you believe it's a good fit? It, well, it is a good fit because that's your, that's your best pass rusher that was available, certainly. The numbers going into free agency, well, well the Dolphins offered a five-year deal uh, at $60 million, and they then put the transition tag on him for the, about the same rate, about $12 million a year. The thought was he was going to get to 15 in free agency, especially once that transition tag was lifted. The fact that he got to 17 uh, was just was just outrageous. But you've got a pass rusher who late in the season created as much pressure as anybody in the league. I mean, look at the numbers, and, and pressures are somewhat subjective, but you look at the numbers, uh, and I don't have them right here, but I do remember him being the guy that created more pressure than anybody in the league the last half of last season. And you pay your quarterbacks the most, and you pay your guys that can get to the quarterback the second most. So it would make sense that if you believe that that's what uh, he is, that he would get there. Now, now, remember this, and I, I reported this before the, the Giants-Dolphins game last year. They, the Giants' offensive coaches were so concerned about this guy and the fact that he often went low, too. That was the other thing. Remember, he, he's the guy who went low on Mariota, uh, that, that they made sure that the officials knew before the game, hey, we're looking at this, and you better be looking at this, because this guy gets back there, and he gets low, and he creates havoc for quarterbacks. We, we want legal hits from this guy. So, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I guess it's a, a bit ironic that now they won't have to worry about that, and maybe some other people have to worry about that. But he, he creates the pressure. They needed a guy to create the pressure, uh, especially since we still don't know what we're going to see from Jason Pierre-Paul. Uh, you, you've you've got to go out and sign these guys when you can get them. It's when you need them, and, and they did. And, you know, it's a ton of money, but I can't fault them for making the move. Yeah, I mean, Giants fans obviously cautiously optimistic about Jason Pierre-Paul, and it's a, it's a one-year deal that he signs with the team with some incentives built into it. But, you know, the question remains, can he use that hand effectively? Because we saw a lot of times last year, Mike, where he got pressure, he was in position to get a sack or maybe make a tackle on a run play, and because he was encumbered by that club, it yeah. turned into a positive play by the offense, and and that's something that I guess everybody's hopeful about, but no one's going to know until he actually starts playing in football games. Right. I, I would expect it's going to be better. It's, it's never going to be what it should be, Bob, and and that's a shame because the guy's a terrific player, but I, I think it's going to be better. I, a lot of this is, is, is physical with having that club on and not being able to grip. I mean, obviously you can't grab anything if you have that thing wrapped around the head. But a lot of it is also mental, uh, and and I, you know, first couple of games he was very hesitant about what he was doing, and then what they told him was just do something fast, go out there, and and try not to think whatever you're doing, do it fast. Because remember, it was still it was a new defense for him too. He didn't have that that training camp and that off season, uh, so he had to he had to worry about how is this hand going to work, and also where am I lined up? What am I doing? Guy just can't play fast. And then as the season got along, or the last, last half of the season got along started to at least play a little faster. So I think with the offseason, with that surgery, take the club off, uh, I think it's going to be better. And the fact that the Giants gave him the deal that they gave him, which is a lot less tied up in incentives and a lot more in, in I don't want to say guaranteed, but, but base-type stuff, base salary and, and, and roster bonuses, uh, reveals that they think it's going to be a lot better for him this year. If Hankins can come back healthy, Jonathan Hankins, and you team with Damon Harrison, who they signed, Pretty good uh, interior because stopping the run has also been a huge problem for them. Yeah, I, I thought Muhammad Wilkerson, I, I, I sort of started to buy the hype about they may make the trade for him or try and make the trade for him. And, and, and who knows, maybe they did. We, have, we haven't really uh, heard a lot about that. 
Uh, but I guess I had the wrong Jets guy in mind. And, and, and David Harrison, without having to give up a draft pick, you sign the guy, you sign him for less than what Wilkerson would get. Uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, and he, you saw the respect, speaking of Wilkerson, who was one of the guys that tweeted uh, about how tough this guy was to go against. I think Justin Pugh, I believe, was the Giants player who also tweeted how tough he was to go against and, and glad that he's now on the other side of the ball. kind of reminded me of, of when the Giants signed Chris Canty uh, and, and they talked about how their offensive linemen, I think particularly Chris Snee, really talked to them about, boy, this guy was such a load to handle on the other side of the ball. So a lot of times you'll see that guys in-house, players in-house, will help su- supplement the reports and say, you know, it's even tougher than maybe it looks like on film to handle this guy. And, and, and Damon Harrison was that guy for the guy. Janoris Jenkins obviously could be a dynamic playmaker. Uh, does it concern you that at his introductory press conference he talked about the fact that he admitted to the fact that, yeah, he didn't really finish games the way he probably should have? Uh, it doesn't concern me as long as he realizes it and as long as he, he, he makes good on it. Um, that, that's something you can say after you sign the deal for, for $12 million a year or whatever the heck it wound up being for him. Uh, you, you don't say that beforehand. So, uh, look, I, I, I love – Accountability. I love guys who, you know, without even, I mean, not like he was asked about it. They said, what can you get better on? I can get better on stop being lazy at the end of games. That's fine. But now you now you put that out there for, for Giants fans who are knowledgeable fans to look at. And if they see a little bit of it, uh, boy, they're going to jump on it. So that's fine. You, you can set the bar high for yourself. Just got to clear that bar. I guess the Giants are hoping history repeats itself a little bit when you mentioned Antonio Pierce. He was an emerging player with Washington. The Giants signed him, and he became really uh, the heartbeat of that defensive team that won Super Bowl forty-two. Now they got Keenan Robinson, who they signed from Washington. So, does history repeat itself that way, or the injury bug that has followed this player's career? I mean, I think that's got to be a big concern, especially after coming off what you kind of went through with John Beeson as a middle linebacker. Yeah, and. You know, Robinson's a little cheaper, and I don't know that you're going to ask him to be the leader that you thought you were getting in John Beeson. Uh, but, I, you know, I saw people say that, you know, he had, he had trouble tackling. Well, that was tied into the injury bug. Uh, and if he can shake that, he's been a tackler in the past, and he can bring guys down. Uh, I, you know, I, I like the signing. Um, there wasn't a whole lot out there on the, on the free agent market. There's, there's just not a lot of real true – you know, middle linebackers, period, in this league anymore. And when you've got one, if you're Carolina, you got Luke Keekley, he goes nowhere near the free agent market. Um, so, so you really don't have these options to kind of throw a ton of money at a guy. And, and usually if he hits the market, there is some kind of concern, whether it's an injury or whatever. So, you know, it, it's, it's the move that they, they had to make. It, it's probably among the best they could, have, they could have done there. And provided he stays healthy, I think he's got the ability to be the guy that they need in the middle there. Obviously, they've got some other needs, wide receiver, offensive line, maybe another linebacker, clearly safety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hey, listen, this is the time of year now where we start getting into value free agents. There's quality players that are out there. Um, the draft is looming, so that always serves as a backdrop. Do you think they can fill out a couple other pieces here in free agency, or do you think they're pointed more toward draft, draft, draft? No, I think you'll see a couple. Um, I, I was surprised that they didn't go stronger in the uh, wide receiver market. I really thought they were going to make the, the splash there, and I thought there were, you know there were rumblings about Muhammad Sanu and Marvin Jones, and I thought they would they would go harder after one of those guys. They really did not go hard after 
uh, Mohammed Sanu, uh, particularly given the rumblings that were that were happening in advance of that one. So uh, I, I, you know, I would say Dwayne Harris's year last year probably contributed to that. They feel like they can lean on him a little more. Uh, you don't know what you're going to get from Victor Cruz. You're hopeful that uh, everything with his legs is behind him, whether it's the calf or the knee. Uh, but I would expect that there there'll probably be one more veteran free agent signing, and, and Ruben Randall is still available. I, I I think though that there is a red flag with Ruben Randall, given that the production didn't go up in a contract year the way that you would want the production to go up in a contract year. That, that's never a good sign. When a guy's about to hit the market, there's no other motivating factor. Uh, stronger than that one. So I think the fact that that didn't happen, uh, and we saw that with Akeem Nix a couple of years ago too, and, and then the Giants wound up letting him walk. So I think that that's a big red flag there and a, and a reason why uh, that, that he is on the market right now. I guess there's, a, there's always a chance he comes back, but I would expect to see him elsewhere. Final Giants question. Um, obviously, this team, since winning the Super Bowl in 2011, has not been in the postseason, back-to-back six and ten years. Look, Eli Manning's he's played lights out football the last two years in Ben McAdoo's offense. The pressure's really on, isn't it, to get this team back because let's face it, who knows what's next after Eli? We look at these teams that search for a decade to find a legitimate starting quarterback. I would guess that, you know, them being able to strike here in the next two to three years is imperative. Without question, and I think that, that played into their, their shopping spree and free agency here. Uh, you know, knowing that they, they've got to get guys that can contribute right away. And, and, and hope you, you hit on your draft picks, too, and, and they give you a little bit. But you need guys that can come in like Olivier Vernon and all of a sudden, hey, boom, our pass rush is that much better just because we've got this guy in the prime of his career uh, ready to take off, or at least that's the hope. So I, I think that that certainly factored into it. Um, and, and I think also, you know, now that, now that Coughlin is, is, has been removed, you know the 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 eyeballs are at are on Jerry Reese right now, and you know John Mara hinted at that a little bit. Um, he also did defend Reese by saying, "We do remember a couple of years ago, this guy was considered one of the best GMs in the league." He says, "I don't know that anybody really could have argued with that." And had the, and had the greatest couple of years, and I think he's, it, it's clear to him, and he's got to make the move now, um, and he's got to turn this thing around quickly. This is not going to be a slow build. It's it's got to flip quickly. Uh, for his chances of, of keeping that job over the long haul. All right, the Jets were within a game of getting into the postseason last year. Obviously, the quarterback situation, are you surprised that they came in as low in an initial offer to Ryan Fitzpatrick when you consider his production compared to guys that are making a lot more than he is? <laughs> no, I'm not surprised they came in low. I, I guess I'm a little surprised that they haven't just bit the bullet and said, well, this is where it is. We've got to come up. And and. You know, the Sam Bradford deal, I understand what people are saying. Oh, man, I can't believe that guy's worth $18 million. You know, he was a number one overall pick. He was pretty good last year given the new offense and the fact that he was overcoming a, knee in- a couple of knee injuries that had him out for a year and a half. So you got a grade on a curve and say, well, you know, threw for more than 3,000 yards. The numbers were okay, touchdown interception-wise. They didn't play as well as they could have as a team, and some of the stats were padded late in the game. But I, I, I still think, again, that pedigree of being the number one overall pick in the town, yeah, I, you know, the number was high, but let me put it to you this way. When, when he hits that number versus when Brock Osweiler hits that number, I mean, Osweiler got benched, and all of a sudden he comes and he gets $18 million and he matches that. So 
I, I guess when the Bradford deal hit and, and Fitzpatrick saying, well, if he's getting that, I should be up there close to that. I'm thinking, no, you should be a lot lower. You should be in that $10 million plus range. And, and the Jets were around there. There were added incentives uh, to be had. But everybody thinks now, oh, boy, $18 million, that's the floor for quarterbacks. I think that's kind of crazy. So I understand why the Jets are holding firm. There's not a lot of interest in Fitzpatrick elsewhere, especially since at the time, the Texans were one of the openings, and they realized, well, he wasn't going to go back there. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that they haven't come up at this point, but I don't blame them for, for standing back. Did you like the moves that they made with the running back position, especially with Matt Forte? I did. Um, I, I, I like the uh, re-signing of Powell. Um, and the number for Chris Ivory and Jacksonville was outrageous. Just outrageous. For a guy that, for a guy that doesn't stay healthy, uh, in the first place, and plays that physical style of football to give him six and six million and change a year. I, I definitely would not have done that. So isn't he, I, isn't I he, okay isn't he like that. the second coming of Marion Barber in your eyes? Yeah, a little bit. That <laughs> makes sense. Uh, I, I, I would compare. And, and look, I mean, a lot of times when you play that style of football, it's hard to stay healthy. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to call the guy soft. But we saw it with with, with Brandon Jacobs. If you're going to play that style, where I'm going to hit you and. I'm going to run up right, and uh, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to welcome contact. Your shelf life in the league is not going to be long. It's not it's not long for a, for a running back anyway. So, you know, I, I I can't pay that kind of money to that guy. So I I think that Forte four million a year is, is that number for the veteran guy on the tail end of his career. Steven Jackson got a similar type deal. Sometimes they hit, sometimes they don't. Uh, I do think that he's got a little bit left. He had some injury problems last year. Uh, but I think he's got football left, and I'm, I'm okay with that deal. Are you surprised that there has been – I mean, I haven't heard his name mentioned at all other than on my Sirius XM NFL radio show a couple times. Demario Davis, who really looked like an emerging player and has been a, a very good player for the Jets, lost some playing time last year, and mm-hmm. he's on the street, and I haven't heard him linked to anybody. No, it's been, it's been really, really quiet with him. Uh, I, I just looked him up the other day uh, to see what the heck was happening with him, and I, I hadn't seen any any ink on him since February, I believe. So, uh, yeah, very very intriguing situation. I don't know a whole lot there as to why uh, it's so quiet around him. A lot of times you'll 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 hear something, uh, or you won't hear something about a guy, and all of a sudden you find out later. Okay, this is why. Uh, very odd there. So he'll be in this next wave of free agency, I would think. Uh, and might be a nice addition for a team. We'll see if he heads back to the Jets. Muhammad Wilkerson, obviously he's got the franchise tag. Are, are the Jets willing to let him play under? I mean, willing to let him play under that tag this year if they can't get a deal done, or, or do you think that they're as motivated as he is to get something done long term? Because he's arguably, if not the best, one of the top two guys at that position. I, no, I think I think they absolutely would let him play under that tag. Um, I don't know that he would. And he's been patient, and he's looked around, and they've extended a number of guys, and they've given new contracts to a number of guys. And um, you know, he's not—he's not one to really get out there and gripe about it. But I, I think you can read between the lines on some of the things that he said, and you know, a little bit upset about these things, uh, and, and the fact that he hasn't come to an agreement. Now you now you get into that franchise. I, I just wouldn't expect to see him, especially since he's rehabbing that leg. Wouldn't expect to see him in the off season. The question is what happens if that July 15th deadline comes and goes. Does he show up to training camp? Uh, or, you know, at that point, there's really, there's really nothing you can do to hold out the force team. You're, you're forced to play under that, that one-year tag there. Uh, you, you could potentially force 
I guess, in trade, but you're playing under that tag anyway. So I, I it'll be an interesting situation. I, I don't think that he's just going to show up a happy trooper and, and ready to go. Um, potentially could see a draft, could, could see the draft market develop for him closer to draft day and on draft day. So that'll be one to, uh, to keep an eye on. I, I really thought in this wave of free agency it was going to be stronger for him. A lot of those rumors, a lot of, uh, teams inquiring about him. We haven't heard a whole lot of that right now. So, again, maybe as we get closer to the draft for him. Is the leg in- injury complicating that a little bit, in your opinion? Not terribly. No, because, it, you know, it's a, I mean, look, it's not a minor injury by any stretch. I certainly wouldn't want to have, uh, have suffered it. But, you know, that's something you can come back from. Uh, you, you start to worry about long-term issues when you're talking about knees and, and these other things, Bob. Uh, it. it you know, he, he'll, he'll be slowed by it this offseason and, and maybe into the season a little bit and have to regain his form there. But it, it, it's nothing that, from what I gather, is a concern long term. All right, let's go a little – let's span the league a little bit and some of the latest news. And uh, mm-hmm. let's start with Martavis Bryant. And uh, yeah. uh, a one-year suspension, obviously, um, you know, if you if you remember the Mike Tomlin quotes before the season started – he talked about this young man having some issues away from football that they were committed to try to helping him through. It seems like there's several different layers here, um, but it's obviously a big blow to the Pittsburgh Steelers because he brings a dimension to them offensively. And in my opinion, probably last year when all healthy, the most explosive offense in the NFL when they had Le'Veon mm-hmm. Bell healthy and all those receivers up and running. Yeah, he he was a phenomenal threat down the field for them um and, and combined with antonio brown i don't know that you've got a better duo right now in the league but you're not going to have that now and, and it's it's disappointing and it's it's just weird because you're being suspended for something that's legal in a couple of states it, it just it's very and then combine that with the fact that you know yeah and i've talked to his agent too that that he they, they say that he has you know mental issues and this is how he copes it's just you hate to see a guy lose a year of football for something like this. I don't know what can be done. I I, I get why the NFL continues to to suspend for it. I, I understand their reasoning, and you know it's still a, a it, it's a state to state issue, and, and 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 overall, you know it's not it's, it wouldn't be fair to have somebody living in you know um, Denver that could that could use uh, marijuana and somebody else playing somewhere else that couldn't. I mean the Broncos would be stacked if that was the case. Uh, so I get it, but it's just it, it's disappointing, and and that's why when you when you when you hear about a guy failing a test at the combine, it's not the use of marijuana that worries teams. It's it's more or less, you know, a test of can you keep yourself if you can't if you can't stay off of weed, knowing you're going to take a test that's going to determine your NFL future. How can we trust you to do that once you get into the league? And so it's a complicated issue, and I, I just I do feel bad for Mark Davis Bryant. Uh, if, if indeed these issues that he's coping with are, are legit, I do feel bad for him. He's going to miss a year of football for this. Yeah, you know, because if they are legit, I think back to a conversation I had with Charles Haley, who's in the Hall of Fame now, and he talked yeah. about, you know, being in this macho sport, uh, dealing with these demons, these personal demons that he had to mm-hmm. deal with, and not feeling comfortable coming forward with dealing with depression and all those other things. So if this is legitimate, you know, this is a deeper issue that I think sometimes people just sort of scoff off as something that's not really real, but it really is real. 
It is real, and, and, and Randy Gregory was that guy last year during the draft process, and um, you know, I kind of held off. Nobody wants to report that a guy's got mental issues or anything like that, so I kind of held off, and then it sort of it, it trickled out slowly. First it was, you know, he's got a problem failing drug tests, and then the other stuff came behind it, which is that this guy's got issues that he, that he uses marijuana to, 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 deal, to deal with or to cope with. Uh, but I did hear one team tell me, you know, he, he was very open and honest with us and, and basically told us every day is a struggle. I mean, think about that. Every day is a struggle. You're going to play this game that takes so much out of you physically and mentally, and then on top of that, you're, you're dealing with other issues. I, that's why I raised the, the question to, to Roger Goodell at his Super Bowl press conference, because we were talking about Johnny Manziel at the time, and you, you heard his father say that, you know, if, if, if he doesn't get some help, I'm afraid he's, he's going to be dead. And I raised the, the question to Goodell, and I said, look, it, it, it's kind of kind of turning a little bit, the story, and, and do you look at this and say, well, maybe we need to do more to help the players, not just discipline them, but also help them. And he said, you know, we, we already do, uh, but, but part of me looks at all these guys, and, you know, the Darrell Washingtons, the Justin Blackmans, the terrific football players we're not getting to watch and thinking maybe something's got to be done, something a little stronger to help these guys, again, not just discipline them. All right, I'm going to get to the commissioner in just a second, but I want to go to uh, John Elway. And we talked about Osweiler taking that big deal with Houston. It feels like John Elway wants to kind of draw a line in the sand. He's got the credibility as a Hall of Famer, what he's done running the football team. But he wasn't biting on giving Osweiler that kind of money. Uh, Any kind of interest they may or may not have had in in Fitzpatrick, I mean, he's holding the line as to what he feels uh, uh, um, uh, a middle-class quarterback should be paid. Is is he doing something that, you know, maybe a couple years from now we're going to look at and is going to benefit, you know, the entire NFL, creating sort of a a more sane salary number for quarterbacks than Miami and some of these other teams just giving guys a ton of money before they've done anything? It's possible, um, and you know what those what those Miami and, and Cincinnati teams did is you know, they didn't put a lot of guaranteed money in those deals. They they allowed the ceiling for the Tannehill and Belton deal to be high, but a lot of it wasn't guaranteed. So it was still a you know prove it kind of deal, even though it said five years, ninety million or whatever the heck those deals wound up being. Uh, it, it was still a very low guarantee that they can get out of quickly. The problem is when that guy kind of stays in that middling zone there, and, and, and Dalton took a step forward last year uh, when all those guys were healthy, but then uh, Tannehill, you, you've still got some of the same kind of questions about him down there, and it's not like he fell off a table, and you can say, all right, well, it's time to cut cut loose from this guy. Uh, you, you still want to kind of hang in there, so it's it's really tough when you've got a middle-of-the-road quarterback. Now, you know, I, if, if they're not able to solve their quarterback situation and Potentially, Mark Sanchez winds up winds up being the starter, or let's say, you know, Brian Hoyer winds up being the starter, and, and the Broncos aren't successful uh, as they were with Peyton Manning last year. Because I, I get that everybody says, well, it wasn't Peyton Manning wasn't this passer that he used to be, but he's still a guy who put them in the right situations at the line of scrimmage. He was, that brain was as strong as it had ever been, uh, and, and that's a big part of the game is the pre-snap stuff that you're doing to put the team in the right situation to be successful there. Uh, I don't know that Mark Sanchez or Brian Hoyer gives that to you. So you may take away that, that passer, and you may lose that brain there, and you may struggle as a team, and then all of a sudden everybody will say, well, 
you know what, sometimes when you've got that middle-of-the-road guy, you're going to have to overpay him. So that may only <laughs> that may only wind up reinforcing things down the line, Bob. But I, I get it. It's a tough situation. If he had look, if he had Andrew Luck as his quarterback, there's no question he would give him a blockbuster deal. It's not it's not a matter of that. Uh, I just think it's a matter of they would they would have loved to have given a deal that was not going to be uh, as burden as much of a burden as it is uh, for Houston coming up here. Right, I want to go finally to the commissioner of the NFL, and you referenced. Roger Goodell a short time ago. There have been some reports that there is actually some common ground between the NFLPA and the National Football League as far as uh, reducing or stripping down the commissioner's power to hand out penalties for mm-hmm. off-the-field conduct. Real or noise? Uh, real in the sense that it's been going on for a while now, and D. Smith actually talked about that at the Super Bowl press conference, that, that he was optimistic that things were moving in the right direction. Uh, and then you, you, you go talk to people at the league, and they said, well, no, no, we're still we're, we're talking, uh, but, but we're nowhere on that one. So I think eventually it'll happen. Uh, I still think they're working out some things. I, 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 the Brady hearing uh, that happened in court recently was, was somewhat of a deadline uh, that the, I think the NFLPA was hopeful was going to spur the NFL uh, into accepting a deal because that would have wrapped up the Brady thing. If, if they got neutral arbitration, think about it. If you get neutral arbitration, how can you still be in court to contest the commissioner's uh, authority? That would have been part of it. So uh, I think that's a big piece in this and the fact that once they got to court, we thought, okay, well, they, they missed that window. So maybe the next window is before a decision is going to come, which is a couple of months away. So I, I think it's real in that we'll probably see it at some point, uh, but but I don't know that it's any more imminent than it's been the last couple of months. Do you feel that ownership has shifted a little bit as far as how they feel as far as him having that authority? Yeah, and and a an appeals court upholding Judge Berman's ruling would only strengthen that, to be honest with you. Uh, and I'm, I don't know, I don't know that that's not going to be that, that's going to be the case. I, I think. There's three judges that are going to determine this, and just talking to the people involved, it sounds like they expect one to go one way, one to go the other way, and then there's there's that, that swing judge that they're not sure which way he's going to go. Uh, but potentially, if he does uphold Berman's ruling, that's only going to get a few more owners to say, uh, we spent how much time and money on this, and, and what did we get in the end? Uh, so, again, I think that's a, a big part of it. Do you ever wonder, Mike, um, when you think about it, like the Wells report, and Brady had the money? He had the clout, he had the power, he had the resume, he had everything to take this thing and really fight it. And and we saw all the things that kind of getting rewritten, the league attorneys looking it over first, and it's supposed to be an independent report. You ever wonder, I mean, if the guys in Miami would have had the the ability to, the, the resume and the financial resources to sort of take that on? Because in the aftermath of all this, you know, you, you, you wonder, all right, how much funny business went on with that report where, you know, people lost jobs and Incognito got suspended and the whole deal. Had they been able to fight it the way Brady could? Yeah, and Richie Incognito just re-ups for three years and $15 million, and Jonathan Martin is out of the league. So um, that was a uh, very odd situation from start to finish. And... Uh, I know Incognito was frustrated for a while with that and uh, probably frustrated that he missed out on a year of his career. Uh, 
it was, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if we revisit that one if it comes back the same way. I'll put it to you that way. All right, Mike. Uh, I like to end the podcast uh, with a little fun segment, and uh, yeah. so here it is. I don't know what your favorite meal is. What's your favorite meal? Something that you know maybe strays away from the diet, um, but something oh, that, yeah. something that you want to indulge in. What would that be? Oh yeah. Well, if if my wife is cooking, uh, she and she's not Italian. She's Cuban, uh, which actually she gives a Cuban twist on the the veal milanese. Uh, which the Cuban version is to have it with with the lime, so we we have the lime with the milanese. With the, it, it, it's 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 like a Cuban Italian version of it. It's terrific. That, that's where I go. All right. So you got this big tray of veal milanese. You got your favorite adult beverage, uh-huh. and Mike, you could invite three people to sit down and have dinner, and you can just pick their brain, be a fly on the wall, uh, no media, no anybody. You got as much time as you want. And it doesn't necessarily have to be from current sport. It could be from the past. It doesn't even have to be sport. Who would be yeah. three people you would love to sit down and just pick their brain and just listen to them talk? Oh, man, this is a this is a tough one, man. Um, and I'm probably going to forget who I would who I would go with. John Stewart. My wife to this day. I was walking through Jersey City Target, and I see John Stewart pushing his daughter, kind of leaned over on the cart, and he's just whispering to her. And he walks by. It's weird. Like, you never expect to see John Stewart in a Jersey City Tark. And I stopped dead. And I looked at this guy, and the guy looked at me, and I was like, we both nodded our heads like, yeah, we just saw it. And my, and my wife was like, you, you're you around famous people all the time. Why did this guy? I was like, I, that dude, that's my guy right there. Like, so I, he, he would be there. For sure. Especially since the, the, the transitions that he made in his career. I, I love me some John Stewart. Um, geez, so that would be one. Now, did you say alive or dead? Or is it could be dead too. Something? Could be dead too. You can bring him oh, back. Man. Wow. Uh, I'd love to. I'd love to have the babe there, Babe Ruth, because he's just kind of he, he's he's iconic and he, it's all, he's mythical too. You know, the 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 big guy. I and, and I'm sure it'd be a good time too. Uh, and, and what the hell? We'll throw Sinatra in there. We'll have, we'll have those three kinds of things. There you go. Sinatra. You, that would be, can you imagine the stories at that table? Uh, for sure. I just sit there and listen. I don't have to pick the brain. I just listen. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Garofalo. That's G-A-R-A-F-O-L-O. Watch him on Fox Sports. He's the S, uh, Fox Sports NFL insider. Mike we appreciate the time and the insight into the NFL, and uh, thank you so much for joining us. All right, bud. You got it. Thanks for having me, man. That's Mike Garofalo on this edition of the Papacast.